Hi folks, today is May 6th, and if it's Friday, then this is the Delve. On April 10th, France held the 2022 presidential election that included 12 candidates running for the position. Since no candidate received more than 50% of the votes, the election continued to round two between the two candidates with the most votes, Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen. This year's race for the Elysee looks like deja vu. Voters narrow down their presidential candidates and the finalists are incumbent President Emmanuel Macron and his far-right rival Marine Le Pen. France's Interior Ministry reports that the current president won about 27% of Sunday's first round of voting, putting him in first place in a crowded field of a dozen candidates. Le Pen is in second place with around 23%. The second round of voting in two weeks is said to be a rematch of the 2017 election. After the polls closed, the centrist Macron made his pitch while the far-right Le Pen made appeals to the mainstream. I want a France which inscribes itself in a strong Europe, which continues to form alliances with great democracies to defend itself, not a France that exited from Europe would have for its only allies the international populists and xenophobes. That's not us. The French people have spoken and gave me the honor to be qualified in the second round against the incumbent president Emmanuel Macron. Let me express to the millions of voters who express their trust in me my sincerest gratitude. I acknowledge with humility all the responsibility that comes with it. While Macron was the status quo candidate, Le Pen looked to take France in a very different direction. Perhaps her most controversial policy idea was to ban Islamic headscarves, and while that alone is crazy and should be disqualifying, her great ideas continued. She supports processing asylum applications abroad, which, when you're in a horrendous emergency, might not be the easiest situation. Imagine, you're stuck in Ukraine, trying to get away, but eh, you gotta wait for your <laughs> asylum application to be processed while you're there. Yeah, she also supports the establishment of a privileged partnership with Russia, which seems odd, you know, considering the whole Ukraine situation. But perhaps it's not so far-fetched, because her political party has an outstanding loan with a Russian bank for 9.4 million euros, or just shy of 10 million dollars. Now imagine, the Democrats or Republicans owing 10 million dollars to Russia, and then calling for a privileged relationship. I don't know. It seems weird. After two rounds of the elections, the people of France luckily voted for Emmanuel Macron, making him the first president to be re-elected in France since 2002. To talk more about the elections, I spoke with a young voter named Omar. He's French-Lebanese and based in Paris. He's studied political science, and despite having the perfect profile of a Macron voter, he cares very strongly about social justice and the environment. He was a supporter of third-place candidate Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who, for reference, would be somewhat similar to our very own Bernie Sanders. Let's have a listen. Hey, Omar, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. That's good. Happy to hear that. Omar, tell us a little bit about yourself and all that good stuff. So I'm Omar. I'm 33 years old. I'm originally from Lebanon and I grew up mainly in France since I was uh, six years old. So you can say I'm 98% uh, French 
cum se vedere, Denise Sparkle. Okay. <laughs> I'm a consultant in digital transformation, which mm. is a very Macron-friendly field. <laughs> but I studied uh, but still, science. But still. A very yeah. staunch yeah. Mélenchon supporter. A very staunch, <laughs> yeah. A very passionate. passionate. <laughs> like, like the southerner that I am. Like, like the Lebanese southerner that I am. A supporter of Mélenchon, yeah. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Typically, the Delve spends a lot of time on domestic American politics. Mm -hmm. But for this episode, we are going to talk a little bit of French politics. And I happen to be in Paris. You're in Paris. And I was like, yeah, I think this, a this is a topic that we should you know, try to tackle. Yeah. So, Omar, you were a fan of... So you weren't a fan of Macron. You're not a fan of Le Pen. You're actually a supporter of the other, uh, the person who came third in the first round of the French elections, uh, Mélenchon. Exactly. Right. And I still am a fan of him. Okay. You're still a supporter. Okay, great. So I want to know, what is it about Mélenchon that is so radically different from the other two that you could, you know, not crossover into their camps. What was it about him? What were the issues or the policies that he was pushing? The main issues and policies that attracted me and, and that still attracts me today and that are diametrically opposed to the ones that are advocated by either Macron or Le Pen is he has a really radical leftic, leftist stand. He is very looking to concretely enhance poor people lives working people lives and and this is the i think core issue the uh, how do you call that in french service public public service the state's mm. service which is which are mainly like education sector the health sector and of course everything in the administration that helps our daily lives even though they are not economically profitable oh. they are extremely useful and helps proportionally more the poor than the rich. Yeah. So it's really this view that I like. And despite his very leftist stance, he's quite economically savvy, I, I, I feel, uh, especially because everything that he was planning to spend, he put in front of it something he would take. He would find, he, we would know how to finance any uh, expense he was planning to. And also, even though he's very pro uh, poor people, his tax reform. And, I, and I'm quite sad that a lot of middle upper class people didn't see that enough. It would actually benefit maybe like 90%, 95% of the, the people in France. Oh, wow. Like today, there's like five uh, different... Like tax brackets? Tax brackets, exactly, yeah. And there's one big in the center and two two small ones on the on top. The and small, yeah. Exactly. He will do 14 different brackets so that like oh, taxes wow. would be more incremental. And then you wouldn't feel that if, if you get this big pay raise and you're very happy about it, but suddenly you pay a lot of more taxes. Yeah. And this is something a lot of people in France have been complaining about. So yeah, I think yeah, his stance in, on, a, in a, on a very strong state, so that's something I can completely go behind, especially with the issues that, are, that we are facing today, like as environmental issues. The foremost, yeah. think like climate change, things like that. Exactly, we we see that we need strong states. I mean, at least strong laws. Yeah. Uh, private businesses, and I understand that 
they exist to make profits. So mm-hmm. of course they wouldn't go to through a course of action that will cost them too much. And mm-hmm. I can't blame them within the capitalist framework. So right. we need to make regulation uh, or maybe public helps with tax and benefits to put them in the right direction and quickly. Yeah. I hate to ask this question because I know voting is secret. It's very private. Mm -hmm. Did you vote for either of the two candidates in the final round? Yeah, unfortunately, no, because I would have loved to express myself. But I actually went and I voted blank because I didn't want to abstain because I believe voting should be compulsory. It's such a rare and precious right. Yeah. When you come from like the Middle East, like I, I do, or a lot of parts of the world, you realize how important that, that right is. I'm also one of those who believes that the blank vote should have a more uh, powerful way. I feel like this blank vote, it's, it's like mm. an interesting concept. In America, we don't necessarily have a blank vote. You, you, no. you vote or you don't. And we don't have rounds. We, all, we just have one round. And it's just yeah. like the two people. And the results we saw, 58% going for Macron, 42 going mm. for Le Pen. I mean, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but what was the blank vote percentage? Uh, it's still not out, but I think it's... Uh. I mean, the problem is that they put the blank with the abstainer, abstainers. I uh. think it's roughly a third of the electoral um, body. 28%, oh, wow. I think. Yeah. So either not did not win or voted blank. But you always have some unofficial estimation. I, I can't say for this round. I think it was almost two or three millions in the last round. So Okay. But still, uh, a third of the French uh, people who could vote either did not go or voted blank. They didn't even want to participate in this. Exactly. Yeah. These two, because what they're disgusted or they're what like a lot the of the abst- I, I think a lot of the abstainers are longtime abstainers. Like mm-hmm. it's been a while. They didn't. They don't vote because they believe that either way, it's never going. It's never going to change. Mm-hmm. Or they're very far from. They don't have any political culture. Maybe because of their upbringing. Yeah. I could say I'm a first generation. I was born outside of France, but I grew up in France. So, mm-hmm. But my mother never voted in her life. I voted before her. And it was I who basically taught her how to vote. But a lot of people are like me. Their parents never got to vote, either mm-hmm. because they didn't have the citizenship or came from countries where there were no voting rights. So they didn't transmit this culture, yeah, this, uh, this ritual of going to vote. So there's this, and also a lot of people who are just disenfranchised. And this round, I think a lot of people who are pretty much like me, a little bit disgusted. Yeah. And it was, it was like we say, you have this saying, I think it translates well. It's either you'd have to choose between uh, cholera or uh, the plague. This is what we <laughs> say in France. But yeah. I, I feel like in America, we would say the lesser of the two evils. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what uh, the lesser of the two evils. I want to ask, why do you believe Mélenchon didn't have a greater appeal? Um, well, there are many reasons, but two main ones that I see and that I have people here. It's first, it's his personality, which is baffling to me because this is maybe something it's very French. With He was too uh, loud. He was too passionate. He okay. was too like, oh, a lot of people who say he's a very good, uh, like a tribun, like, you know, the old Roman guys who would sit in the corner of the uh-huh. street and yeah, uh-huh. about uh, philosophy and the issues. But yeah, he's not very well suited to lead a country because he doesn't have this coldness and um, stature that, uh-huh. uh, that, that, you, that you're supposed to have as a president. Uh-huh. 
in, in America, you know, when folks are going to hear these names, they're going to be very foreign to them. It's going to be their first time. So uh, in, in the production meeting we had today, when we were talking about this interview, I kind of said, well, he's like the Bernie Sanders of France. Exactly. So exactly. Is, is that, yeah. is, is that yeah. com- com- comparable? In terms of ideas and what he's uh, fighting for and yeah. his ideologies and stance, I think, yeah, he's very close to it. Bernie Maybe Sanders is also said, kind of loud. He know? is for, I think, <laughs> Anglo-Saxons uh, in, in, in an Anglo-Saxon scale. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think compared to Mélenchon, which is a Wait, is Mélenchon French, louder? Yeah, he's a he's a he's a southerner that ha- he was actually born in the North Africa. Everything in him screams Mediterranean, and, uh, and he even, I, I mean he owns it. He 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 tells people, "I'm from the south. Just deal with it." <laughs> I can't imagine someone louder than Bernie Sanders. I love Bernie Sanders, but he is very loud. Wow, for you guys, yeah, for us, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's very funny. But yeah. It, uh, Apart from that, they're pretty, pretty much similar, yeah. So yeah, this this played actually against him with a lot of left-leaning people, actually. And that, and also, of course, the abstention of uh, a lot of young voters who, yeah. if you talk with them, they're like 90, 95% mm-hmm. <laughs> aligned with his ideas. And yeah, and they go, just did not just did turn not out go Because they, yeah, either they do not believe that this can change the system or for their own personal reasons. Mm. If there is a third reason why he didn't reach the second turn, it's because the left did not unite. They mm. were a communist candidate. They were a green candidate. Socialist candidate. Socialist candidates. If the three were, uh, I mean, went with Mélenchon, we would have at least one on the second turn. Maybe not the presidency, but at least mm. we would have been able to first have a different debate because we yeah. spent we just spent two weeks talking about the veil. Like, that's the issue. Mm. The Islamic veil. Yeah. For the listeners right. who don't know, Marine Le Pen, one of her yeah. most popular proposals was to exactly. make the veil illegal to wear in public. Uh, the in public. hijab. Yeah. Exactly. It's already illegal to wear it in school if you're under 18. Yeah. Uh, and I think in public administration as well. And she wanted to forbid it in like when you walk outside, when you go shopping. And I think even if you go to work, I mean, mm. it's pretty much... It sounds insane. Yeah. It, it is. But it yeah. is. that was actually one of the reasons I wasn't that afraid she would pass because like 90% of what she was proposing was insane and unconstitutional. Yeah. Yeah, but and that's another issue with the French system. The president can wield a lot of power and can bypass parliament if he wants or she wants to. Yeah. Uh, she can directly go through to uh, and call a referendum that could, if the conditions are met, change the constitution. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a little bit. It's highly, highly unlikely, but it was still like the thing you think about. When you go in the voting booth and you're by yourself in front of the papers, you start to think, you, 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 you feel the weight of the responsibility suddenly on you. So yeah, I think uh, that helped a lot of people not vote for her, mm. at least mm, to vote against her. Well, I mean, still 42% of people who yeah. voted for a candidate voted for her, which yeah. sounds scary. It's it higher is. than she got uh, five years ago. Yeah, if you put it in another way, it's 13 million people. It's like the whole of the Parisian region. Mm. 13 million is a fifth or a f- it's almost a fifth of the French population. It's a lot. Yeah. One, if, one in five people that you can cross 
actually not in Paris because in Paris we all pretty much voted for Macron. No. <laughs> but yeah, like one in five, it's a lot. And it's not to uh, put the problem under the rug, but you can safely say that half of those 13 millions, they did not vote for the fascist uh, FN. Mm. Uh, even more, they did like 80% did not vote for the fascist one. 50% even did not vote for the populist, uh, nationalistic, pro-identity one. They voted for the social side of Marine. They voted for Marine herself, completely forgetting the other people in the party. What do you think the left or the far left needs to do to capture the attention or capture more voters um, so that they can perform better? Is it a new candidate? Do they need someone not so loud? Do they need yeah. someone a little bit more polished, more, you know, more looking like Macron? Uh, mm. what, what is the answer to that? I think it's a catch-21 because someone less loud would, would seem less radical. And a lot of people who today vote either left or extreme right are mm. angry people. Mm. We're angry. We're angry about the inequalities in our societies, about the state yeah. of the earth. So we, this anger needs to be expressed. And also we need someone who we can credibly believe. And a lot of the anger of Mélenchon and all the people in La France Insoumise is uh, mm. not party per se, but like, yeah, group are angry because of uh, the inequality they see in the system. And this actually is why they have such a strong base. And mm. by softening this side, they could gain more in the left, traditional left, but mm. they would lose on their own support. So it's okay. kind of hard. We all know they have to, ha to make some compromises. Yeah. Because what they need to gain, the left, what it needs to do is to unite. Wow. Because... Left people were very good at being nitpicky. Uh -huh. Like on the right, they don't care. It's like, okay, this is the strong candidate. We're just going to unite behind him because at uh -huh. least he's going to win. And at least it's not going to be the left. Yeah. We on the left, we like, oh, he's not a 90, he's not 95% like me. I'm not voting for him. <laughs> Was this less scary than Mélenchon? Okay, I don't get it. <laughs> I think there's also a thing with having so many candidates, you know, mm. instead of kind of like consolidating. Like you were saying, the left and consolidate behind one party or one candidate. Yeah. There were, what, four or five different leftist parties. Sure. Um, sure. So that like, that like chopped up that voting of block. Course. Yeah. I mean, it chopped up, it chops uh, all the voting blocks. Even Marine Le Pen uh, did not do as well as she hoped because of Zemmour. Mm. Uh, the Republicans are not doing as well because of Macron and other uh, traditional right-wing parties like Jean Lassalle. Yeah. Uh, or Nicolas Dupont-Aignan. No, no, but that's... The fact that we have so many candidates, I think, is the result of the direct universal suffrage. You vote directly for one specific person. You don't have to be vetted by a party to actually uh, be a candidate. You do have to get your famous 500 signatures from yeah. any kind of elected person that can be a mayor, that can be a deputy, that can be the mayor of a small town or a big city. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So you just need that, be, of course, uh, a major and French citizen, and you can actually be a candidate. What so this you... system helps to like, create more candidates than just like, one. Prevent them, yeah. yeah. What are you breathing a sigh of relief about? Like, what are you saying, oh, thank God, about? About the results, you mean? Mm. Well, thank God the fascists didn't win, the of course. I mean, no, but I mean... I mean, that's worth <sighs> thanking God for, yeah. No, I yeah, 
Yesterday, I think in Lyon and in Paris, there were some clashes like far-right militants that were going around and called that ratonade in French, which is just waving, basically just going and harassing left-wing people. And this is when they lose. Mm. One can only imagine what would have happened if they had won. I mean, like a lot of, unfortunately, people in the US, when they saw that Trump won, they just went back crazy. Like, okay, mm. now... I am allowed to be racist and I can kill anybody that has yeah. less white than me. And yeah, I think we would have, unfortunately, even in France, saw that happening. So thank God for that. And thank God uh, Mélenchon is still around. He's still yeah. uh, calling for how he says the third uh, round, which is the... Uh, which would be the parliament election. The parliament election, yeah. yeah. Which can still change a lot of things. And maybe it's just it was just to get our vote. I don't know. But I feel that Macron kind of knows that mm. he wasn't elected entirely and only for his ideas. Mm. Like he would have gotten only a third of the French population, but that's it. Yeah. Like he needs to at least in French, we have this nice uh, saying it's muscler sa jambe gauche, which is like work out his left, uh, his left leg. <laughs> okay. Which is what he did a little bit during uh, this, the, between the, between the terms, like propose some, social or oriented uh, ideas, soften yeah. his stone on the uh, retirement age and stuff like that. So now yeah. we, we'll have to see if he actually uh, keeps goes through with it. Yeah, it comes through. But it will be easier for us if we have a, a lot of left-leaned, uh, left-leaning uh, deputies in the parliament. Yeah. Because we'll be able to, to get him to <laughs> muscle his left, uh, <laughs> his his left, left leg. leg. Yeah. I like that. I like that uh, expression Damage. there. Yeah. What does Mel- what did Mélenchon think about the Russian invasion? It was quite unfair because he was accused a lot because he's quite anti. I mean, he's not anti-American as in he doesn't like American people. No. He's not Atlantist. He's not an Atlantist. He doesn't believe that Europe or France should rely on American protection, should blindly follow Americans. I feel like that's a very French idea. thing. Yeah, I mean, they, for I mean, it's a quite a consistent uh, policy yeah. with what De Gaulle, Pompidou, and even François Mitterrand, which was a socialist, did, which is to say, we're a democracy, we're a liberal democracy, of course, but it doesn't mean that we have to f- blindly follow you. Right. We had the same stance with the Iraq invasion. Yeah, we went to exactly. We went to Afghanistan because it was sanctioned by the UN. We did not go to Iraq because it wasn't sanctioned by the UN. Yeah, that's quite a French uh, policy. It's when we we changed the name uh, French fries. We changed it exactly freedom fries. (laughs) Freedom yeah. fries. <laughs> it should be Belgian fries in the first place anyway. But <laughs> That's a different podcast episode. Yeah. What should fries should be called? <laughs> okay, so Mélenchon, yeah. what was his thinking so for this he's invasion? Thinking, uh, he was always saying, careful, you're antagonizing Russia. And of course, as a staunch sovereignist, like he believes in the sovereignty of nation, Mm. Always said, you cannot cross a border, period. That was always his sense. That's why immediately when Russia invaded, he uh, tweeted that that wasn't acceptable. And all the, the entirety of the responsibility uh, lies on, in, on Russia's side. But he always said, careful, it's a powerful country. It's a proud country. It's a rather rich country. You cannot treat it like a subpar country or just 
bully, bully it around like any other country. Oh. We need to discuss it. We need to accommodate it if we can. Uh, he proposed to uh, a long time ago that Ukraine should have a Finland-like status. But since he wasn't vehemently pro-American, they said, oh, mm -hmm. that's because kind of pro-Putin, which he always, of course, denied and proved by the fact that the only times he went to Russia was to visit uh, a Russian dissident, a Russian opponent to Putin's. Mm -hmm. so of course, that, that was just an easy bait, I mean, an easy attack to use to, from, the, from Mélenchon's uh, opponent in, opponents in France. But Do you think he would have went along with all of the sanctions? I think, yeah, mainly. He said, I would have uh, went with the sanctions, but I would have thought a little bit more about the effects on the French people, i.e. the rise in... Uh, like energy prices. Energy prices and stuff, uh, which, is, which he proposed to actually block through a lower uh, price than what's Macron proposing. And for him, it was one of those reasons that showed that we need renewable energy because we need to start yeah. importing energy from anywhere, not just Russia. Right. So, yeah. No, no, I think he would have went along because uh, that was the thing to do at that moment. And even if he personally would have believed that, no, we, sh we can't take san uh, sanction, he wouldn't have chosen the camp of Hungary. <laughs> mm. He would have stayed on the wrong side of history. I think this is like a really good part to talk about the EU a little bit. Marine Le Pen very much wants France to mm. be very independent, not so connected to its European neighbors. Meanwhile, Macron wants to be kind of like at the center of the EU, leading it. Exactly. Exactly. Where, where did Mélenchon fall in this? I think kind of in between. Mm. He would still have this French attitude that the European Union is a mean for France to achieve some of its own interests, like to amplify France's uh, influence. But he would not be keen on, be, on being restrained by some of European rules, especially budgetary rules, mm. more liberal rules. And I think his party actually changed a lot on this subject. He was, five, uh, five years ago, uh, he was pro-going on, on the way to propose maybe a referendum. To like maybe, a Frexit? Like a Frexit. Okay. If the EU did not accept some of his condition. But maybe Brexit came along and changed uh -huh. his mind because he uh -huh. saw the mess. I don't know the reason as to why they changed their position. Uh -huh. Maybe also they saw that if you actually spend too much or do not respect some of the rules of the EU, if you're France, not much is going to happen, which is a little bit sad because he saw that when Hungary is doing what it's doing or Poland is doing, is doing what they're doing in terms of violating not even the economical rules, but the uh, judiciary rules, the rule of law, the independence of the, uh, of the elections and things like in that. In Hungary, yeah, LGBTQ or women rights in Poland mm. that are being restricted. And he's like, okay, they do that and they're not punished. I just want to spend more to help people. Well, I'm just going to do it. And mm. let's just go along. He's not in, he doesn't have the position, I'm going to quit Europe. It's, I'm going to do whatever I want and mm. Europe will have to deal with it. And more importantly, Europe will have needs to be more democratic because if it's more democratic, it will actually be more social because that's what most people want. What would you want American listeners to know about where France is right now? Uh, where is France right now? I think like a lot of Western democratic capitalist countries, 
we're in a bit of a, I'm not going to say a mess because that's, that would be dramatic, but we're in a moment of profound questioning because we've never been so rich. We've never been so comfortable. France performed better economically under Macron than uh, the years before. We, I think, managed COVID a little bit better than some countries. We actually rebounded faster than a lot of countries. Uh, unemployment is getting down. There are a lot of actually positive stuff. But Macron doesn't sound so bad. You... No, no, no. I mean, yeah, but I, I'm just that's... kidding. I'm, I'm just yeah. like making a no, joke. But objectively, you are right. It's not. He's not that bad. But that's on the macro. When you look at the big uh, picture or the yeah. big numbers, when you delve a little bit, you'll see. Okay, there's less unemployment, but it's badly paid, unstable jobs. Um, okay, the economy is doing good, but it's only for the big companies, not the medium and small ones. Okay, we are uh, we're having a eight percent uh, economical growth. But it's not translating in either wages growth or an increase in public service. And I think a lot of stuff that used to make us friends a little bit different than the rest of the Western world are being slowly erased. Our social security, our uh, Republican schools, now a lot of uh, more and more people are putting their child in private uh, schools. And for me, it's a very saddening trend. Our hospital was bad before COVID and it just got wrecked. But, you know, COVID just showed us that we weren't as as protected as we thought. So I'm hearing like, so some of the great French institutions, they're they're eroding, what, not because because they're not being maintained. Exactly. Yeah, that's the sad part. It's mm. uh, it's obviously we're, we're only 66 million. So our economy will never be able to be as high as of India or China or Japan or, or countries that are far more populous than us. A lot of people, oh, look, our GDP is only, it's behind India now. It's like, good for Indian. Like, hopefully uh, the Indian GDP will continue to rise because there are 1 billion of them. It needs to get yeah. higher than the US. <laughs> but I see the other stuff, yeah. The stuff we had that was comparatively to our size and capabilities that was comparatively better than elsewhere and slowly but surely getting less efficient, less attractive because it's not maintained mostly and, and it's also why a lot of people are angry, it's uh, badly maintained. Because I'm not saying that we have the best administration, I'm not saying that we have the best public servants and everything. But that's also one of the reasons that people uh, actually want to get away with the system because they see a lot of inefficiency, a lot of wasted money, a lot of errors, a lot of uh, redundancy in the system and the administrative layers and stuff. So you feel as a taxpaying uh, citizen that, okay, so that's why I'm paying. Okay, so maybe I'm better off not paying and just giving it to the private sector. Yeah. But in the end, it's a very middle class, upper middle class thing to think. Because when you're poor or kind of at the bottom, you would rather have a bad public service than no service at all. Okay, Omar, I like to end these things asking people, what's something that makes them hopeful? What's something that makes them, you know, kind of optimistic about the future? In terms of like... In France in general, what's something that makes you hopeful? I think it's the fact that young people, even if they did not go to vote, 
are more and more uh, not only vocal on social media, but actually actively doing stuff to uh, materialize their ideas. Yeah. Actually, if you, if you go to a lot of people who abstain from the vote, they would tell you, I don't vote because I, I actually prefer acting. Like, I go help the poor. I go build uh, stuff for the needy. I, go, I, do, I invested that much time in my community. I help the people in my building, etc. Mm. And that's a trend that's quite nice because you can see that individualism has reached its limits. It's nice that we as individuals are valued, that our individual rights are valued as much, maybe even more than of the community's uh, rights. But I think we've reached maybe the limits. Like when we, and the, I think the COVID epidemic showed, showed us that well, like your individual liberty has a limit. You have to think about the people around you, the, even the yeah. ones you don't know, even if they're not from your family, if, even if you don't like them, but you interact with them. We're all in the same society. We all depend from each other in certain, in a certain way. And yeah, we, it's yeah. bad that we need a crisis. To remind like, us. Yeah, yeah, to remind us that. <laughs> I think the next generation is, is uh, very aware about the danger of the world and they're ready to tackle it. And that's why we also see a lot of radic radicalism, be it from the right or on the left. Like people are getting angry with the state of the world and the inaction. Mm. of the people in power so yeah. that gives me hope because unfortunately sometimes you need a little bit of a, of a punch to change the to change things for the better hopefully not on a civil war yeah <laughs> a level but yeah omar thank you so much i really appreciate this this was this was fun well thank you for giving me the opportunity yeah perfect Thank you so much for listening in. I'm Chaylin and this is The Delve. I'll catch you next Friday.